Hello and welcome to One Controller Port Podcast, episode 22. I am here yet again with the name Benjamin Yoder. I am a person who exists and uh, we're going to talk about video games today. Um, and let's just talk about the video game I've been playing the most lately. Um, Peach Beach Splash is a Senran Kagura Peach Beach Splash. Um, I bought this game... Uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one, uh, when I originally saw it, I thought it looked pretty interesting. It's like a uh, a water gun third-person shooter. There's a couple of WiiWare games, I think, that were good water gun games. But um, you don't see that many like online multiplayer water gun games. <laughs> it's not something you commonly see. I think Splatoon is probably the closest you can say with like ink and stuff, but yeah. So anyways, I saw the the um the original like Japanese gameplay when they revealed it and I thought it looked pretty cool cuz we get because you have like a jetpacks and stuff so you can like float around or you can like launch yourself up and around depending on the weapon type you have. Uh and then you also um have basically a bunch of different water guns so you have like these little uh showering guns you can spray at people. Uh, you can also have more traditional like ass- assault rifle that shoots like wads of water at people, rapid fire um or like a water water uh rocket launcher and things like that so i thought it looked pretty cool but i didn't spend too much time looking at it um but then i had some friends who are center Kagura fans so i uh i decided to pick it up when they picked it up because i was like i don't know how many people are ever going to be playing this game and this is probably my best chance to to sit down and play Center Kigura at Peach Beach Splash. Uh, the only problem was Peach Beach Splash doesn't have a standard edition, or if it has, it has a standard edition in America, but it's digital only. And I like my physical goods. Um, I'm not a big collector fan though, so the fact that there was only a collector's edition that was that was physical was kind of like, eh, but it was seventy dollars, so it's like ten dollars more than like a normal game price. But then, like the digital digital standard edition is like fifty dollars, so technically it's twenty more. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so I picked it up, um, and I was really surprised. It's not it's not really a third person shooter like Splatoon is or something like that, um, because uh, there's not a ton of aiming going on. Uh, you just basically tell the game to to lock on to anyone within a certain parameter in front of you, and then um, and then you just shoot. And your character will stay locked onto that character and keep on shooting. And once you kill them, it will lock onto another character. Um, but it is still like a. I don't want you to think it's kind of like a Gundam versus or like a Gotcha Force where, where when you're when you're locked on, you're stuck locked on. Uh, you can move the camera around freely in Senor Kagura, um, and it, it it doesn't lock you to look at one spot. It really only locks you when you're shooting. Um, every other time you can just you know, look around as you would in a normal third person shooter. Um, and I think this was smart for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because, um, uh, the, I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a budget game and the net code doesn't seem great. <laughs> so characters, characters are not moving, uh, quite smoothly so ha- having to rely on precision for that would uh be kind of not fun <laughs> um and then the other thing is because you have these jetpacks that let you fly around the stage and uh you know dash and things like that um 
it really puts a focus on the movement of the game rather than the uh, the the aiming. So it's more about how you move around enemies while you shoot them rather than how how well you are shooting them per se. That's not to say that accuracy doesn't matter because you know as characters move, uh, you know your your shots are going to trail them. So you kind of have to figure out how you can counter their movement to um, to properly hit them. So, you know, you want to kind of, you know, adjust yourself so that your bullets are still hitting them even when they're running around. Um, I think my biggest problem with the game so far is that there's just a really big grind at the start. Um, if you go straight into online, you're going to get murdered, uh, not because you're not skillful enough to play the game, but because each character and weapon and skill card I'll talk about skill cards later, uh, has a level associated with it. So everything's level one at the start. So like someone who has a level 10 weapon is going to kill you in two hits. If you have a level one character, it's, it's unbalanced completely. And I feel like they could, they should at least start you with one. I don't know. Like, I feel like the character's level shouldn't even be a thing. Um, but you know, if they start you with one level 10 character, that would be, that would be kind of nice. Um, just a way for you to feel competitive in online, or at least not just get murdered immediately. But, um, yeah, and if you go through the story mode, I don't feel like you're going to get enough cards or money to, or enough EXP or money to, uh, to level up your character pretty f fast enough. So you kind of have to grind out some offline content or there's also some cooperative content like uh the the survival modes where you defend three different uh points from waves of kind of grunt enemies and things like that um how the exp system of this game works is kind of cool though because uh you have a bunch of cards that you pull from decks and i know cards is not something that is uncommon these days <laughs> you know all, all the mobile games use it um but the how it works is you pull these cards and you get a bunch of different uh, skill cards or if you get duplicates, those duplicates go into an EXP pile. And what I don't like about games like Puzzles and Dragons is when you get these EXP or cards you're going to use for EXP, not only do they take up a ton of inventory space, but they also have like very specific enemy t or character types you want to feed it to to maximize the EXP. And I've always felt like that part of Puzzles and Dragons and those kind of games is kind of a headache. And so Kenrikura just throws all this EXP into one giant pile. It's out of your inventory. And um, and then you just go and you feed your cards those EXP. And it doesn't matter what type of card it is. It, the EXP is all the same across the board. Um, so there are like different... I should kind of explain the cards like that. Each character is a card per se. Um, each weapon is a card. Each uh, each skill you have, you have like three skills you can activate at once during battle. Um, and these skills have like cooldown timers on them and they all have different levels of cost. So if you have like a high cost card, it will take a long time to ready up once it's in your hand. So you have to sit there. Once it's in your hand, you have to wait a certain amount of time until you can use it. And then once you... Um, and then once that's done, then, then it goes to the next card, and you have to wait a certain number of time to use it. So the cost factor matters there, especially in games like uh, the survival mode, where you have enemies coming in at timed intervals. Uh, you want to have those cards ready as soon as possible, uh, especially in the later waves, where the first wave that hits you is often very strong. Um, so you have these all these different skills and all these different weapons. Well, you don't have that many weapons, maybe like 10 or so weapons, but... Um, and you just dump EXP into these cards and, you know, once you level up your characters to level 10, 
um, and your your weapons level 10. You focus on those cards uh, and leveling different skills that are useful for a variety of different um different uh, modes. And then uh, you also have like pet cards too, which I don't really like the pets that much. Uh, they take up a skill slot. This is why I don't like them. They take up a skill slot in your hand, and then when you use them, they stay in that skill slot until they're gone. So you it limits the number of cards you have in your hand unfortunately um but it's, it's there's a lot going on in this game and then you know i, I haven't you know <laughs> i haven't gotten to the point that you know uh, like other centered kagura games uh it's a game about you know glorifying boobs and stuff and uh to some extent butts um and it's it kind of stinks because i think a lot of people won't be able to look past that um, they'll just see, you know, that you're shooting bikinis off other girls and stuff and being like, oh, that's not, that's the, the fan service video game. So I don't want to play that. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's pretty neat. And I like the different modes. One thing I do like about like playing ranked online is that like it shuffles modes all the time. So you'll get into a game and it'll throw you in, um, uh, like a, a regular team deathmatch that's literally just, you know, shoot the enemies down. There's squirmy finish mode, which basically um, has you, it's basically a team deathmatch again, but when you shoot a person down, you don't get a point for that. You only get a point if you go up to them and then like spray them with your little rubber decky um, and do the squirmy finish or whatever. And so it, it requires you to get into places or like try to keep track of another character while someone else is you know trying to fight you and keep you away from them and stuff like that it's pretty neat um and then uh there's capture the ball bra which i haven't played which sounds like it's just capture the flag and then there's also like a defend the points so uh, i think the squirmy finish mode is probably my favorite so far but um i haven't uh i haven't played capture the bra yet so maybe that's good too i don't know uh that's one problem with this game is that the the player base seems very small right now um, and I imagine this is the biggest it'll ever be. So as time goes on, I'm sure that there will be less and less people. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty fun. I wish there were more cooperative modes. Uh, there's only that one survival mode you can play with people, but it's uh, you can play with up to four other people. So, you know, teams of five, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's a good time. I like the leveling loop in the game. And um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a big Sinnered Kagura fan or like I've never have been, had interest in it. Um, and I don't know if I should have interest now or not. I, I don't know if it's just because of this this specific type of gameplay that I have any interest in this this entry specifically. I think that's the case. But I mean, I still wouldn't mind trying the other Center to Girls at the very least. Um, but it's, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where I go. Um, I'm very quick to jump onto a series and then jump off of it to go play another series. <laughs> Um, another thing I want to talk about, um, was that apparently Dragon Quest X is out on PS4, which I already knew that, um, or coming to PS4, which was a, a well-known thing for a while, but apparently the, the demo is free up to version one. Um, so the thing with Dragon Quest X is that it is a Japanese only MMO and I've been wanting the game to come out for a long time. Uh, I've heard a lot of people describe it as a a midpoint between a modern MMO and Final Fantasy XI. Um, and I, the only MMO I really ever played and enjoyed significantly was Final Fantasy XI. I think a large part of that comes down to down to having the time to invest into it. Final Fantasy XI hit that perfect time of my life where I was uh, a high school student and didn't give a crap about going to school. <laughs> um, 
Um, but uh, I, I, I really wouldn't have mind to try Dragon Quest X. And for years, you know, it's been going. It came out on the Wii originally. And for years, it's just been going um, and not being localized. And it's kind of hard to justify investing money into something that, you know, I may not be able to get past, you know, the first hour or so. Playing a Japanese-only MMO sounds like a nightmare. Um, but if it's free on PS4 and then free up to the version 1 of the game then I think I'm totally up for, you know, trying to bang my head onto it. And maybe if I can figure out how it it works, I could go for the rest of the game. Um, I doubt that will happen, but try it. So so I think, um, like, as I've mentioned on a previous episode, I'm moving at the moment, so it's it's hard for me to dedicate a ton of time to something like that. Um, But once I get set up at my house, I think, uh, or my uh, apartment, place i think i might uh go ahead and do that so that might be uh, a fun time Alrighty, so it is time for the fortune cookie from Bagloggery. let's open that cookie hotel dusk room 215 uh hotel dusk room 215 is a game by sing um if you're not familiar with that Hotel Dusk is really probably their biggest thing, but, uh, you know, they also did, uh, uh, Trace Memory, uh, also known as another, another code, um, and then everything beyond that was all just sequel stuff of, like, Trace Memory R, um, or another code R, sorry, and then, uh, uh, The Last Window, which was, or, The Last Window? Is that the name? It's a sequel to Hotel Dusk, basically, um. And they also did Little King Story, uh, and then a few other um, point-and-click adventures here and there. So I, I've always really loved Hotel Dusk. Um, it's a story, and you know, I'm not going to say, I don't really like reading that much, um, like, s- stories and stuff, but I can put up with, like, visual novels and, like, adventure games. I, I like those. Um so when I sit here and say I really like the story and characters, I say that completely from a video game perspective and not like a literature like perspective. But I really love how human all the characters in that game feel. Um, I feel like I'm ill-prepared to talk about Hotel Dusk, but I, I just love diversity of characters in there. You know, you have Kyle Hyde, who is this like, you know, cold and cool um um detective kind of has a soft side to him at times um is a very he can be very friendly and he can also be very brutish (laughs) uh one of my favorite things is him like him like uh you know um what's the term basically getting in conflict with the uh the hotel manager and stuff they both can be like very old men at times (laughs) i really like that and then you have uh i believe his name is lewis and he's like kind of this um, uh, guy who kind of fucks up a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like the the dynamic between Hyde and Lewis. Um, and then it's just a bunch of other characters. It's a it's a great great game. Um, and I like that you you're kind of forced to get to these, get close to these characters in a way that makes them very personable but at the same time you gotta like Kyle keeps his distance because he's there for a reason he's there to you know investigate um a situation 
Uh, and so he makes these very, very strong, um, bonds with these people, but, you know, he's not afraid to, to push those, those bonds to get what he needs. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of very, very awkward conversations for people and, uh, it's, it's just a nice, nice point and click adventure game. If I can only recommend one, it would probably be Hotel Dusk. Um, the, I think the, the honestly, the, the answer is probably be, it would be the last window, the, the, the sequel to this game. Um, not because the last window is particularly a better game per se. Um, I think it hits pretty much all the notes that Hotel Dusk hit in a way that is good. Um, but the art is a lot better in Hotel or in um the last window. I mean, I, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. I think you. I think you basically get the same experience out of Hotel Dusk in the last window, but the presentation in the last window is a little bit better. Um, but I also don't know what the price difference is. Last window only came out in Europe and Japan, so um, it's probably more expensive. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know how expensive it is now, and I, I'm too lazy to look. But I, if you've never played Hotel Dusk, it's it's a totally great game. Um, it's really sad that seeing has kind of come and gone. Um, you know, they, they, uh, some of the team members made that, uh, what's that game called? Chase Cold Cases or something like that. Uh, that like game. Um, and that game is like, it feels like a prototype for a Hotel Dust game. And I say that in a bad way in terms of like, it, it feels like it goes backwards. It doesn't have the budget to, to do what it wants to do. And the, the length of the game is extremely short. Um, it feels like the opening episode of a series, but then as far as we know, there are no more episodes to chase. (laughs) So also the guy, the main guy pretty much just looks like Kyle Hyde from, uh, Hotel Dusk. So so yeah, check out Hotel Dusk. That's a fantastic Nintendo DS game. Um, I hope they re-release it on something. I would say Wii U, but um, uh, Wii U is kind of dead. So I don't know if they plan to do Nintendo DS uh, support on Virtual Console for Switch. I'm guessing the answer is no to that. Um, but we'll see. We shall see what happens. Virtual Console is still not a thing on Switch for some reason, or at least some... If not by name, you know, something similar to it. Uh, you know, just have the hamster arcade stuff uh, going on right now, as far as I know. So that's going to do it for this week. Um, one thing I forgot to mention last week was I did a uh, Castlevania article. Um, or rather, I reworked a old, old Tumblr post I made about Castlevania Circle of the Moon and put it more in the context of um, Bloodstained. Uh, I've mentioned before on this show, I I hope the best for Bloodstained, but everything I've seen in that game looks very safe um, to an extreme extent, and I'm very disappointed in that so far. Uh, but there is still hope, because at the very least they have that analog stick mechanic where you can like aim around the analog stick. Um, but yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a fun article, but you may get some deja vu if you've read a lot of my stuff in the past. Uh, basically talking about the Circle of the Moon card system and how I think that's a good example of how you can differentiate a Castlevania game in the Metroidvania style without really having to break the formula or format of those kind of games. If anything, I think in a lot of ways, um, it shows that you can do even the 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 how you obtain powers and skills 
uh, differently, even if those power and skills are largely the same. Admittedly, Circle of the Moon is very, um, is very, uh, I would say, you know, progressive in that in that ca- in the Castlevania series because it does a lot more than simply the night in terms of like the type of skills you can use outside of just weapons. Um, an Area of Sorrow really pulls from that, maybe not directly. Um, but I think it was a natural evolution for them to be like, here are these, these elemental abilities and, uh, you know, the ability to, to transform your character and things like that. Um, I think that's a really cool, uh, cool concept and it, it, it definitely still per is pervasive in Castlevania up until the end and now in, in, um, what's it called? Bloodstained. So I just hope Bloodstained finds something to stand on its own. So we'll see. We shall see. So that's it for this week. Uh, I will be moving next Saturday. So A, I'm going to miss this plat vest. That's a shame. Um, <laughs> but B, I'm also uh, not sure if I'll have an episode up. I think I'm going to go ahead and record something right now. Um, and then I will try to have something posted on Monday. Um, depending on how the internet situation goes. Everything seems to be set up fine, but, um, you know, I won't believe it until I see it. So, um, yeah, we shall see. So thank you guys for listening this week, and you guys have a good week. Bye.